We've all heard of Bonnie and Clyde, but what did they actually do? Fear not, here's a shit detective's rundown. Trigger warnings. Robbery, murder, prostitution, poverty, wars, gang violence. Hello, detectives, and welcome back for another episode of the Shit Detectives podcast. Today, we are delving into the infamous case of Bonnie and Clyde. We are both pretty excited to cover this one, and we hope you are too. So buckle in, it's time to wind back the clock to the 1930s and delve right in with the background. Over to Turtle. Before we delve into this criminal couple, we thought that we should do a quick history lesson as we feel that it's very important to the aspects within the case. Bonnie and Clyde's crime spree took place in the 1930s during the time of the Great Depression. But we don't want to assume that everyone knows what that is, so here's the scoop. The Great Depression was a period of global economic hardship lasting 10 years, from 1929 to 1939. It was particularly felt in the United States and it was triggered in September 1929 when the global currency dropped by 15%. And just don't worry if you don't understand that because, in all honesty, I don't either. And that led to the event being known as Black Thursday, where Wall Street stock market crashed. It led to the, de- to the decade-long financial struggles across the nation with widespread unemployment and that was only exacerbated as many businesses would begin to fail. Some countries weren't able to recover until the beginning of World War II. Though the international markets were all affected, it was particularly hard-hitting in the USA. Construction markets were at a virtual standstill, and crop markets weren't doing much better. Many Americans would travel across the country just to find work, and send money to their relatives. One of the more famous examples of an impact is Hooverville, a shantytown that popped up in Central Park because of the stark level of homelessness. Those who were lucky enough to have a job would willingly tolerate awful working conditions because at least it was a wage. It might also be of interest to you to know that it also features regularly throughout literature. Examples are of Mice and Men by Steinbeck, Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, The Blind Assassin by Margaret Atwood, to name but a few. It's also been featured in modern media. In 2008, the infamous time traveller TV show Doctor Who made a visit to Hooverville. And while no, there weren't aliens running around New York, it shows the attitude to life at the time and the perception of crime at at the time as well, which succinctly brings us over to Bonnie and Clyde. So let's start by giving a bit of a background with some information on Bonnie Parker. She was born on the 1st of October 1910 in Rowena, Texas. She was the second of three children to Henry and Emma Parker. She was from a poor Dallas home and by all accounts she was a good student in school. Initially her family lived quite comfortably due to her father's job as a bricklayer but when she lost her father in 1914 when she was only four years old it led to Bonnie, her mother and her two siblings moving to live at her grandparents' house. From what we can gather, the death of her father left her family financially destitute. 
By the age of 16, she was married and had dropped out of high school. She married a man named Ray Thornton. And by all accounts, the marriage wasn't a happy one. She's been described as a very pretty, petite young woman with strawberry blonde curls. It's said that Bonnie was just shy of five feet tall, 100 pounds, a waitress and an amateur poet. It's believed that she was bored with life, wanting something more. She craved adventure. Enter Clyde Barrow. He was born on the 24th of March 1909 in Ellis County, Texas. He has been described as a fast-talking, small-time thief from a similarly destitute Dallas family. Clyde had six siblings and it's said that he was an attractive man with thick brown hair. He is described as being 5 foot 7 and approximately 130 pounds. His parents were tenant farmers, Henry and... Oh, brilliant. Thanks, me. Well done. Bravo. Um... <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so sorry, everyone. This is going to be about as PG as anything. Um... Cue me. Cue me. Pronounce it Cue me. Cue me. Okay, we're going with Cue me. Okay. <laughs> Henry and Cumi Barrow, who often didn't manage to make enough money to feed their children. That's not funny. I'm sorry. I'm still laughing at the pronunciation, at the spelling. I'm sorry. I I don't think that's how it's pronounced. (laughs) I just kind of came up with it so that, you know, it's not as bad as how we would actually pronounce it. But yes, when I was writing this script, I couldn't help but keep giggling at that part, (laughs) as bad as that is. Um, But yeah, that's what his mother was named on every source I found. Like, is that not short for something? Oh my days. I don't know. I hope so. Poor woman, her parents hated her. When Clyde was 12, his parents gave up tenant farming and moved to West Dallas, where his father opened a gas station. Much like Bonnie, he desired some he desired something more out of life, more than the crappy hand he'd been dealt. The Great Depression had dramatically worsened the poverty levels, which made it more difficult for those who were down on their luck to try to change their fortune. By all accounts, West Dallas was a rough neighbourhood and apparently, Clyde fit right in. It's reported that he had two serious girlfriends before he met Bonnie, but never married. Clyde dropped out of school with his older brother Ivan, also known as Buck, and fell into trouble. One evening, the criminal brothers stole a car and rode around town before deciding to commit robbery and break into a shop on the main street. Breaking in, stealing, and getting back out was the easy part. The problem arose when it came to getting away. A police patrol car saw them leaving the scene and a chase ensued. Clyde managed to escape into the woods. However, Buck tripped and the police caught him. His brother refused to name his accomplice. The police took him back to the station and he was charged for the robbery. He was later sentenced to several years in Huntsville State prison. Buck's arrest didn't do anything to deter Clyde and the next night he was at another store. He hated living in poverty and wanted to make a name for himself and by God 
He did just that. Roy Thornton was jailed around the same time as Buck for thievery and was sentenced to five years in prison. Due to this, Bonnie had to move back in with her grandmother and got a job as a waitress. This angered her. Then, one evening in January 1930, Clyde received news that his sister had fallen and broken her arm. He went home where he would find his sister's best friend, Bonnie Parker, making hot chocolate in the kitchen. And it was love at first sight. They spent the whole night talking, and after that they spent almost every day together for the next few months. Bonnie was 19 and Clyde was 21 when they met. Bonnie seemed to forget all about her imprisoned husband as Clyde assembled a group of ruffians and began to terrorise small shop owners through hold-ups and robberies and she became their getaway driver. It was around Christmas time when authorities started to compile evidence against Clyde so that they could arrest him. Then in the following February, Clyde told Bonnie that he needed to leave town because he was wanted by the police. He was just starting to pack his belongings when the police arrived at his door. He was arrested and held at the Waco County Jail to await trial. The criminal couple. After Clyde's arrest, he was sent to Waco County Jail to await trial. Despite her mother's wishes for her not to see Clyde, Bonnie hopped on a bus to visit him in prison. During the visit, she met Clyde's cellmate, Frank Turner, who claimed that he could break them out of there if he could get his hands on a gun. This led to Turner drawing a detailed map of the location of a gun stashed at his parents' house. The plan was for Bonnie to go to his parents' address, find the weapon and sneak it into them in prison. She had successfully located the gun and the very next day she slipped it to Clyde under the table at jail. That evening Frank used the gun to break him and Clyde out of prison and the two made their way to Illinois. They stole cars and robbed stores along the way. As a precautionary measure they frequently changed their license plate but they were captured because a passerby managed to memorise the license plate and reported it to authorities and so the pair returned to their Texas jail. He was convicted and sentenced to 14 years hard labour at East Ham Prison Farm on the Texas Plains. While Clyde was in the labour camp, his only real pleasure was receiving mail. Only family and spouses were permitted to communicate with prisoners, so Clyde indicated that Bonnie was his legal wife. In each letter, Bonnie would continue to express her love for him and would give him encouragement. While he was there, unbeknownst to him, his mother was able to work out a deal with the judge on his case that would make Clyde eligible for parole in two years if he exhibited good behaviour. It basically sounds like she slept with him to get, slept with the judge to get him out. Quite possibly. But anyway, <laughs> before we go down that avenue, Clyde was unaware of this and began devising a plan to have another worker quote, let the axe slip and chop off two of his toes. The attempt actually worked and he was released in February 1932. The couple began seeing each other again immediately following Clyde's release and the more they saw each other, the more intense their love grew. Clyde was still very bitter about the government's role in the Great Depression and so he decided that he wanted to put together a new team of thieves to take the money that he felt was rightfully theirs. And that's exactly what he did. 
At the time, he didn't want to let Bonnie out of his sight, so he took her along with them on their first ride. This was the beginning of the couple's famous crime spree that sparked Bonnie's excitement for adventure and romance. It was during their first joyride they decided to rob the hardware store that was located directly across the Cuffman Town Courthouse. I've probably butchered that, I'm sorry. Bonnie was giddy with the increasing exciting energy. That was until the alarm sounded. Desperate to prevent Bonnie from being punished for her involvement in the crime, Clyde got her out of the car and instructed her to go to Dallas on the bus. Bonnie knew this was for her own good, but it still caused her to feel as though she had been left out of the group. They were still in need of cash though, and so Clyde and an accomplice robbed the local grocery store. They held the store owner and his wife at gunpoint, and they demanded that the couple open the safe. At some point, as the safe was being opened, a gun was fired and the grocery store owner fell to the ground, dead. In panic, the men grabbed the money and made a run for it. The wife would go on to identify the two men as Clyde and Ray Hamilton. After this, Clyde knew he would need to go for on the run for the rest of his life. He admitted what had happened to his sister before going to visit his beloved Bonnie. He gave her a choice, either to go or to stay, because he didn't want her to be implicated in his wrongdoings. However, Bonnie chose to stay by his side until the very end, and so she left her mother a message and joined Clyde on the road. They were passing through Springfield, Oklahoma. The group that was now on the run came across a community dance. They wanted to just let loose and relax a bit, so thinking that the police wouldn't be around, they decided to stop and join in on the fun. But as it was still prohibition, two police officers were present. Those officers noticed Hamilton, who was very drunk and swaying, so the officers approached the men to question them. The men immediately drew their guns and fired, shooting both police officers. Everett Milligan, another of Clyde's accomplices, got caught in the chaos following the shooting and the police detained him. Milligan spilled the beans, so to speak. While in custody and gave the names of the killers with whom he had been traveling with, Clyde came to realize that he needed to get out of Oklahoma and put as much distance as he could between himself and the police. Bonnie made the suggestion that it might be a good idea that they visit her aunt, Nettie Stamps, at her farm in New Mexico to regroup. Speaking of regroup, we're going to take a quick break here because it's that time where I'm going to give you the last week's true crime quiz question. So gather round, detectives, and let's find out if you got it right. As a recap, over to Echo. Tortured, R-word, and mutilated over 190 boys and young men in the 1990s Colombia. He posed as a monk to lure his victims, mostly street kids, promising drinks or cash. He was jailed for 1,853 years, but under Colombian law, imprisonment is limited to 40 years, and he got another 18 years knocked off for helping police find his victims' corpses. Which killer does this profile belong to? If you answered Luis Alfredo Garavito, then you were right. Well done. Time to book yourself a weekend away to de-stress and enjoy whatever it is you enjoy. You deserve it. 
And don't forget to smash that like button to let us know you got it right. Stay tuned for our next true crime quiz time question later in the episode. Now, let's return to the case and continue discussing the crime. So, they were on their way to New Mexico. And while they were on their way, a police officer noticed their car because of the out-of-state license plate. At the time, not many people had had enough money to go on vacation, so out-of-state plates were a rare sight. And this led to the police officer looking up the license plate. It turned out that the car had been reported as stolen just a few days earlier, so the officer scouted the area of the Stamps property and then approached the door. He was greeted by Clyde's gun. The criminal couple forced the officer into their car and took off. Bonnie's aunt noticed that something was amiss when Clyde drew his weapon and so she reported the incident to the authorities. Initially, the authorities assumed that the officer had been murdered, so the state were relieved when they received a call from the officer after he had been released unharmed. This was the instigating incident that would give Bonnie and Clyde their infamous reputation. For the next few months, all across America, they were in the headlines. When interviewed for the investigation into the gang, the officer who had been kidnapped stated that one of the abductors was called Ray Hamilton and the other two were Bonnie and Clyde. Apparently, the criminal couple were quite proud to give their names to the officer. Heard of protecting themselves a bit. Well, Clyde did want to make a name for himself. Yeah. Succeeded in that. Yeah, that's one way to do it. Not that we condone that. Yeah, we do not condone that at all. It is not the way to go about it. It's just the way he went about it in the 1930s. And things that times have changed since then. If you want to make a name for yourself, become an influencer something along those lines okay yeah we don't we, we we don't want to be covering you in our podcast we got more than enough material we don't need more okay thanks anyway from there clyde began to shoot people who were unfortunate enough to get in his way but he was rather sloppy this may have been due to growing weary from the stress of being on the run or due to the weight of his crimes building on his shoulders but he would often leave behind witnesses who would be able to identify him easily. Despite this, the police considered him a smart criminal, and this was because he would do his jobs next to the borders of most states. This was so that he could cross into the next state without pursuit from the police, and they didn't stay in one town for very long either. In one instance, while robbing a bank in Missouri, a guard came over to discover Clyde's intentions, and so he began firing at him. Clyde narrowly dodged the shots and ran with $80 that he was able to grab from the table in front of the teller. Though it was disappointing, it was in no way as disappointing as the bank robbery following this. They held up a bank in the next small town they went to, but came to realise that the bank was completely empty. Yeah, no one said they were very good robbers. Oops. Imagine going to all that effort and then just finding out there's no money in the vault because of the depression. I know, right? It would be pretty good. Just imagine Clyde there with his uh, with his gun and going, "Oh man, now I'm really depressed." 
I think that was a joke I, like I shouldn't have. joke I shouldn't have made, but it was but top tier. <laughs> After this, Bonnie and Clyde decided to return to Texas for a short time to spend Christmas with their families. At this time, Ray Hamilton had been captured by the authorities, and this meant that Clyde needed a new accomplice. This led to him choosing William Daniel Jones, who was also known as WD. However, it would come to fruition that WD was more useless than Clyde could have ever imagined. Really? More <laughs> useless than you could have ever imagined, Mr. Rob's Empty Banks. Hey, he was more useless than WD-40. WD-40 is a lifesaver. But back to the case. This became apparent from the very first job assigned to him. WD was supposed to steal a car in broad daylight, and despite having bragged about having done the job plenty of times in the past, he was nervous. They approached a car sitting in a driveway, and WD jumped out and started his attempt to steal the car. It proved a bit too difficult for WD, and after hearing the multiple failed attempts, neighbours started coming out of their homes to see what was going on. The car's owner heard the commotion and ran out in an attempt to prevent the thieves from stealing his car. It was by this time that Clyde had gotten out of his car and began attempting to start it himself. He was successful, but the owner tried to pull him out of the car, which led to Clyde drawing his weapon. A struggle ensued, which caused Clyde to accidentally shoot the owner. He pushed the man's body to the curb and sped off, while Bonnie followed in the other car. They knew that they wouldn't be able to return home for a long time, so they headed back to Dallas to say goodbye to their families. The criminal couple had been able to get away with their crimes most of the time because those around them shielded them. They understood Bonnie and Clyde's actions because they too had lost a great deal in the Great Depression. But after the killing of patrolmen in Oklahoma, the efforts to catch the gang was doubled by police. It was during an attempt to capture the gang that the police forced them into another shootout, which led to the death of another policeman. This meant their total kill count was now at five. The following weeks after this event, Bonnie and Clyde held up several more banks and even went as far as to break into a government armory. As they were travelling through Missouri, they were stopped by a motorcycle officer and just like the previous occasions, they drew their guns and ordered the officer into their car before driving a fair distance until the car battery died. Bonnie was on lookout at the car when Clyde took the officer into a store and forced him into stealing a battery. They then forced him to carry it back to the car and install it. Once it was done and the car was working again, they sped off but left the officer behind. It was March 1933 when Clyde's brother Buck was released from prison. As you might expect, he immediately rejoined with Clyde, but what might surprise you is that he brought along his bride, Blanche. Is that Blanche or Blanche? I'm not sure. I'll go with Blanche. Let's I heard it Blanche. pronounced a couple of different ways, so it's like, not sure. 
so and we butcher names all the time anyway we're terrible yeah. for it but what might surprise you is that he brought along his bride Blanche even more surprisingly the gang decided to rent an apartment in Joplin Missouri their unusual activity caught the attention of the neighbours and they reported them to the police. Of course, when the police ran the plates on the cars in the driveway, they came up as stolen and this incriminated them straight away. The police and detectives approached the apartment on the 13th of April 1933. It seems Clyde noticed the commotion and alerted the rest of the gang because WD started shooting, seemingly under Clyde's instruction. The gang moved into the garage and from all accounts, Blanche was too hysterical to really... I just said Blanche, even though I was going with Blanche. <laughs> from all accounts, Blanche was too hysterical to really comprehend what was happening around her and went running out the back door. Clyde got everyone into the foretruck and smashed through the garage door and right through the blockade. They were in the process of pulling away when they spotted Blanche fleeing down the street. Clyde slowed the car down just enough for Buck to grab his bride and pull her into the truck. The evidence inside the apartment identified Bonnie and Clyde. Easily. However, the difficulty for police was to work out who the new mystery couple was. That was until the police uncovered Blanche's purse and Buck's parole papers. The gang came to realise that the police were growing wise to their actions and so it was decided that they needed to steal a new car and change their license plates more often. This led them to choosing a black Chevrolet, which they stole in broad daylight. The owner was pretty pissed off at this and borrowed his neighbor's car to chase after them. And that's because he had some serious balls. When he caught up to the gang, he only saw WD. That was until the rest of the gang arrived in a second car. He was taken hostage and driven around for the rest of the night, with only stops being for food. The following morning, he was dropped off miles from home, with a bit of money, but no vehicle to return home in. The gang then gunned down the highway toward Wellington, completely oblivious of the recent road maintenance. Up ahead, a bridge had been removed for repairs. Remarkably, none of the gang had noticed any of the signs alerting them. They were unable to stop in time, causing Clyde to break and slide into the ravine. Bonnie was thrown and pinned by the frame of the car, but the rest of the gang escaped without any harm. A fire ignited, and in the urgent situation of life and death, they had to pull Bonnie out from under the hood before it exploded. She suffered a pretty bad burn on one of her thighs, and her dress was ripped. Apparently, it was severe injury, described as the skin being burnt all the way to the bone. A nearby farmer heard the cries, and being a good Samaritan, he ran over to help. He carried her into his home, and it wasn't until they arrived at his home that he saw the guns and then recognised her face from the wanted posters as being the infamous Bonnie Parker. The farmer slid away and went to the neighbours to alert the police, while his wife tended to Bonnie. It didn't take long for Clyde to realise what the farmer had done, so he grabbed the gang and bolted out, stealing the farmer's car and hitting the road. Clyde knew Bonnie needed real medical attention, so he took a risk and called a doctor. The doctor recommended that they hire a nurse, and Clyde did just that. 
He sent the other members of his gang out to get quick cash from the surrounding area, while Clyde remained with Bonnie, never leaving her side. Oh, I'm sorry, I know he's a criminal, but damn! <laughs> Reportedly, he never left her side while she was injured, and he did everything he could to aid in her recovery. It was so sweet to read this bit. Like, seriously, men, up your game. He's a fucking criminal. <laughs> Legit criminal. He's done jail time. And he treats his woman better than you do. Sort your shit. <laughs> he was so worried for the love of his life that he even called his sister Jean to come up and try to help her recovery. Meanwhile, Buck and WD robbed both a bank and a grocery store which quickly turns into a police chase and shootout, leading to the death of a marshal. Clyde knew they had to take off in a hurry because none of it was exactly inconspicuous and they were wanted felons. Oh, I'm not being funny. Yeah, obviously it's not going to be inconspicuous. She said WD-40 to the, do the job. Lucky for them, the next car they stole belonged to a doctor and contained some of the necessary medical supplies they needed for Bonnie. They continued to ride around state after state, but hunger and tiredness were starting to wear them down. On the evening of July 18th, 1933, the gang pulled into the Red Crown Tourist Camp outside of Platte City, Missouri. Blanche obtained keys to two cabins so they could stay the night. Suspicious, the night clerk watched the gang unload an injured Bonnie while carrying rifles. The clerk phoned the police to alert them, and a few days later the police raided their cabins. Why wait a few days? Probably had to travel to it, it's probably like on the outskirts or somewhere. Possibly, but still, they were really behind them. Squad cars lined up around the area while a police officer banged his flashlight on Buck's door loud enough for both cabins to hear. When Clyde heard the policeman call out, open up, he realised the situation and began shooting at the police. Buck caught two bullets to the head during the shootout and landed in Blanche's arms. Clyde carried Bonnie to the car in the garage and Blanche put a fatally wounded Buck in the back. Clyde knew he had to bust through the doors to get past the police. WD attempted to help move the armoured car that blocked them. Ugh. WD attempted to move the armoured car that blocked them by shooting out the door until it had to retreat. When Clyde finally burst through the garage, the police were so stunned that he was trying to run that they failed to fire, giving him an escape window. The police fired shots at the vanishing car, managing to strike WD in the shoulder, while shattered glass flew into Blanche's eyes, and this blinded her. The gang, badly injured, acquired a second car and turned off at Dexfield Park. They stopped to assess their wounds and get some water. Bonnie repaid her fellow gang members by dressing their wounds and giving them words of encouragement. A nearby hunter spotted the group by the river and alerted the police. 
Bonnie warned the gang of the approaching officers and Clyde once again loaded everyone in the nearest car and sped off. The police, however, had surrounded them and begun firing. Both Bonnie and Clyde took bullets to the arm. In the commotion, Clyde smashed into a tree. He and Bonnie fled on foot into the forest while Buck and Blanche flew from the car on the opposite side and remained there, cowering below the bullets. Buck died three days later in the hospital from his wounds and Blanche served 10 years in a woman's prison. Nursing their wounds, Bonnie and Clyde wandered the cornfields for the rest of the day, still on the loose. WD did not attempt to locate them. He had had enough of life on the rim. Bonnie and Clyde laid low between the months of August and October 1933, but soon after, in November, they emerged to hold up a payroll office in Texas. WD gave up with running and the police apprehended him. Claiming Clyde had forced him into crime, he cooperated with the police, giving them information to help track down Bonnie and Clyde. The authorities told the lead detective on the case, Hinton, to pull, pull out all the stops to capture these offenders. Hinton checked into the upcoming Parker or Barrow family holidays, hoping that they might attract Bonnie and Clyde. And sure enough, Clyde's mother, Kumi, had a birthday in just a few short days. Surveillance of a nearby gas station alerted Hinton to the couple's movements to the family gathering spot. Hinton and his men approached the meeting ground and hid in the tall grass. Not wanting to shoot any innocent persons, he demanded Barrow sur surrender. Once Bonnie and Clyde darted for the car, Hinton and his men began shooting, getting both offenders in the knees but not stopping them. Once inside the car, Clyde began shooting back with his machine gun. Bonnie and Clyde escaped yet again, and the police learned their lesson. Next time, there would be no warning. On, Janu on January 16, 1934, Bonnie and Clyde mounted a jailbreak for their old accomplice, Ray Hamilton. Hamilton brought a fellow inmate along with him, Henry Methvin. In the commotion, someone killed a guard during the escape. Outraging the Texas authorities, they decided to hire Frank Hamer, a former Texas Ranger. The gang continued to rob and commit more crimes, including shooting more police officers. Hamilton began griping about the division of the stolen money and Clyde decided it would be best to separate from him altogether. Wary, Clyde put Methvin on watch while he and Bonnie slept. While on watch, Methvin spotted two police on motorcycles coming towards them. After alerting Clyde, he suggested that they take on the police. Clyde intended to take them on a car chase. However, Methvin thought differently. He fired at one of the police officers, killing him. Clyde was forced to defend himself and shot the other officer. With both officers dead, Bonnie and Clyde now held responsibility for Methvin's transgression as well. Bonnie and Clyde ran for a while longer, robbing stores along the way. They knew they were going to be caught eventually. It was only a matter of time. 
and that time came in May 1934. Clyde had 16 warrants for his arrest, all of them were outstanding. They consisted of multiple counts of robbery, auto theft, just theft, escape assault and murder across four states. The person they referred to as Police Guy, also known as Hamer, had been tracking the gang since the 12th of February. When he studied the historic movements, he noticed that they were flouting the state line rule that meant that the Fuzz, also known as the police, couldn't chase them into the neighbouring jurisdiction. By circling five Midwestern states, they were able to avoid capture. Once Hamer realised this, he worked out that Barrow was regular in his movements and this allowed him to calculate their next, where their next move would be and where it would be was between Louisiana and Texas. They received a tip that Bonnie and Clyde were planning to visit the Bienville Parish. So they lined up at the Louisiana State Highway 154 on the 21st of May and lay in waiting until May 23rd. The trap was to park a van close to the bushes where the officers would be hiding in the hopes that Clyde would slow down and attempt to talk to the driver, as indeed he did. The police then proceeded to open fire while the vehicle was still moving. One of the policemen called Oakley fired and believe me when I say you would want him on your COD team, he got Clyde in the head with his first shot. It is believed by many that this is the kill shot. However, it's impossible to tell as there were around 130 rounds and really any one of them could have been the kill shot. The end result is the same. Bonnie and Clyde were dead. Here we're going to take a short break to give you this week's true crime qu- give you this week's true crime quiz question. So gather in chic detectives, grab that detective hat and magnifying glass and see if you know the answer to the following question. China's most prolific serial killer. He committed 67 murders and 23 R-words between 2000 and 2003. He would sneak into his victims' homes and batter them with improvised weapons like axes, hammers and shovels. He was executed by firing squad in 2004. Do you know who the killer is? If you think you know the answer, then comment it down below if you're joining us on YouTube or TikTok. And click that subscribe button and the little notification bell so you don't miss next week's episode where we will give you the answer. If you're joining us on another platform, then you can join us on our other social media platforms and give us the answer there. And don't forget to give us a rating and a follow if you're enjoying this episode. Anyway, Time to go back to the case where we will cover the media coverage. There are few couples who have made headlines in quite the same way as Bonnie and Clyde did. Their romance has been the inspiration for films, songs and even a musical. And even while they were alive, there was the subject of fascination. There were tens of thousands of people who reportedly viewed their bodies as they lay in separate funeral homes. So, what ignited the fascination? Well, it's quite simple really. It was the Great Depression. And their story was exciting and captivating. 
but also provided a distraction from the lives of those trapped in poverty. To some extent, it could be described as cathartic, much like modern movies, TV shows and video games, even books. They all offer us an escape from the dreary, mundane world. And that is essentially what Bonnie and Clyde did for so many in the Great Depression. Everyone had been affected and the couple were in some aspects fighting back and reclaiming their lives. Or at least that was the likely viewpoint of some of the readers back then. And as well as that, it was adventure, romance. Having just read today and shared the story with you guys today it is like a story it's like out of a book it's a distraction it is in some aspects catharsism anyway on to our thoughts and opinions oh, i'll let turtle start honestly this case is a case that keeps on giving and that's why i find it so interesting every single time i look at it i go I come across it again and again and I always learn something new even though it was 90 years ago this year that they were ambushed and they lost their lives I think that from Bonnie's point of view this story is actually really tragic she started off in a bad relationship and then she met the love of her life and Clyde truly adored her and tried to be her knight in shining armour but she really is, in my opinion, a classic case of falling in with the wrong crowd. As much as their romance is something that many would desire without maybe the crime aspect of it, he, he was a criminal. I don't think that would change regardless of whether the Great Depression was there or not. You know, their, their crime story has been exacerbated by the fact that it occurred in the Great Depression, the time of great poverty, but they were already down in derelict areas. So while I think the crime wouldn't have been on that on the scale that it was, he would have still been a criminal. And I've said all of my points in like one really long sentence so that's me done <laughs> yeah, so, seriously guys up your up your game up your romance game <laughs> so i enjoy the romance aspect of the story of bonnie and clyde i find it very interesting to the lengths that they went for each other they loved each other so much bonnie was willing to lose her life in essence but she also had that craving for adventure. And I think that's also part of what pushed her into be, into a life of crime. Uh, she probably felt her life was pretty mon mundane and here we are, we're now on a massive adventure. Um, but in all aspects, like when looking at this case in comparison to other cases, we've covered i do actually find it a little bit boring i didn't realize i found it boring until i was writing the script and then i'm like oh my god this feels so dreary but i can understand the popularity and 
how they gained their infamous name. It was during the Great Depression. It was for having those headlines about Bonnie and Clyde rather than the headlines about the Great Depression would have been a relief. It would have been something else to focus on for the vast majority of people. So I can understand where that infamy has come from. But I did start getting a little bit bored. I will totally admit that. It is what it is. As for Clyde, I, I'm not sure if he would have become a criminal or not because he was trapped in a cycle of poverty. And again, it can be linked with the Great Depression. Had he not been in that cycle of poverty, had he not been brought up in a rough area of Dallas that had become so rough due to the Great Depression, he may have turned out very differently as well. You just don't know. Yeah, it is one of those where we don't know, but I don't... I do, th- I do think he would have ended up being a criminal again because it was just the area that they were in and it happens to the best the best of us, to be honest with you. It's in no way a character thing because I think that Clyde craved companionship and solidarity. It's why he had the gang. It's why he had his brother. It's why he offered to take Bonnie with him. In some aspects, it's like having a family. He craved a family in some aspects. It was. It was. It was exactly like that. He used to have a big family. He's used to having a lot of people around him. He knew he was going to have to go on the run, but he didn't want to have to give up all the people being around him. This is where we're going to have to draw this episode to a close. Um, We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, click that like button and don't forget to subscribe and press the little bell button so that you never miss an episode. If you're joining us on Spotify or Amazon Music, give us a rating and a follow. And please don't forget to join us on our other social medias. We are on TikTok, Facebook, Threads, Instagram. We're on a lot. So thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of The Shit Detectives. Bye!